Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Rachel Fisher. Not with Desi Jedekin, because Desi is out sick this week. So we have decided to post an episode previously only available to our Patreon subscribers. This episode was recorded in December of 2021, and it is the addendum to our four-part Titanic series that we did last year. It's about conspiracy theories related to the Titanic. And we also talk a little bit more about the movie towards the end. Anyway, thank you so much. We will see you back with part two of Julia Phillips as soon as Desi is better. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to Mysteries in the Macabre. Hi. This is a real low energy one. It's fine. It's a low energy day. Welcome to Titanic conspiracy theories and additional stories that we weren't able to talk about. Believe it or not, there are some. There are some. (laughs) Actually, just one. I have one additional story. Okay. But we're going to primarily talk about some Titanic conspiracy theories because obviously there are are many Titanic conspiracy theories. If any big event... Everyone. Everything has a conspiracy theory, it seems. Especially now. It's like... Yeah, because all it takes is one person to bring up a weird question, and that can launch a thousand conspiracy theories, right? Like, Oh, yeah. So let's start with a big one that actually resurfaced only a few years ago and became really popular a few years ago. And this conspiracy is that J.P. Morgan is responsible for the sinking of the Titanic. Really? Now... This conspiracy theory became really popular in 2018 by, guess who? Trump? (laughs) I have no idea. QAnon. Oh, okay. So the QAnon community started, like this had already been like a conspiracy theory, but it wasn't really well known or any, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't know, but this became sort of like viral in the QAnon community then. Things really take off in that community. Oh, they go with it. Yeah. And they got meme power. Yeah, totally. they memed this. So a meme showed up on Facebook, of course. Yeah. Like a very low-res looking meme that was like, did you know that JP Morgan was responsible for sinking the Titanic? I did not click. (laughs) Let me see this information. (laughs) Now, as we mentioned in part one of our Titanic series, banker JP Morgan bought the White Star Line in 1902. He even had a ticket to travel the doomed steamship in 1912 on her fateful maiden voyage. Morgan wound up not boarding the Titanic, but conspiracy theorists say that he canceled his trip at the last minute because he knew that the ship was doomed, but also that he was responsible Oh, dun, dun, dun. Like, it wasn't just that he knew the ship was going to sink. 
It was he he'd caused it to sink. And then he let his other rich friends go on it. Yeah, that's part of the conspiracy. Okay, theory. let's go. The reasoning for this is that Morgan wanted to murder his so-called rivals. <laughs> Most notably, Benjamin Guggenheim, John Astor, right. and Isidore Strauss. Wow. All three wealthy, important businessmen who all died on the ship. I was, I know this sounds awful, but I was laughing when I saw them in the uh, movie. I don't know why. It's just funny how they're portrayed as these like stoic rich men who are like, no, I'll stay here. Yeah. Like, just kind of like, they all look like they're from like Monopoly. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> And it's funny because Benjamin Guggenheim is portrayed in the 97 movie. And it's like that's a direct quote from him that he said, oh, I intend to go down like gentlemen with the ship. Yeah. And he's like drinking a brandy. Right. Uh, and, and he did that. Yeah. But in, in the uh, actual in reality, he wasn't just only floating around the first class lounge. Like he did help people get into lifeboats allegedly. Right. But that is a very cinematic moment of just him in his tuxedo. Totally. Like saying how he wants to look hot while he goes down. I will say, I feel like that's a difference between rich people then and now. Now I know they would not be stoic. Like Jeff Bezos would be like, get me out of here. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like, well, that, that, yeah, it was shocking to see and to read about these rich people who were like, no, I'm going to stay back and let the other people get on the yeah. lifeboats and I'm going down with the ship. Yeah. As opposed to what you imagine uh, wealthy people today. Like, can you picture Elon Musk doing that? Hell no. No. He'd be like, I, luckily I brought my mini sub. Right. In my- <laughs> He'd have his own And thing. no, no one else can come on it. Just me. Yeah. No, there's no, there's, rich people, they have no shame now. Or like any kind of good qualities they're, seems they're somehow even worse than they were a hundred years yes. ago and they were pretty bad then yes. but they would let women and children go first <laughs> that's that's one point in their favor back then so he wanted allegedly according to this conspiracy he wanted to murder his business rivals and uh the alleged reasoning behind that was because, according to the conspiracy theory, these three men were opposed to the creation of the Federal Reserve. Conspiracy theorists love the Federal Reserve. Dude. They love talking about that. They, they, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. It's like when I hear someone talk about silver, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Any kind of silver, I'm not interested in. <laughs> now, this sub- supposed motive for murdering his business rivals falls apart immediately because records show that Astor and Guggenheim had never, ever been against the Federal Reserve. And Strauss was actually vocally for the Federal Reserve. Hmm. So, yeah, there goes that. There goes that. That I, good reason that, <laughs> to kill them all. <laughs> so, in 2018, the meme that was circulated on social media about this conspiracy theory, this is what it said. All caps. Did you know (laughs) the man who funded the building of the Titanic, J.P. Morgan, canceled his long-awaited journey just hours before its proposed departure? Three of the wealthiest men on Earth who were against the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank happened to be invited aboard for its maiden voyage. Parentheses, John Astor, Isidore Strauss, and Benjamin, Benjamin... Benjamin Benjamin Guggenheim. It, it, this isn't, it then, oh no, it's not in quotes. I just wrote quotes. It then headed full speed into a known iceberg field with less than half the required lifeboats. Like that's some big revelation. Yeah. What? What? 
no red signal flares, no Rothschild or Rockefeller on board, and sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean. Look, you know it's bad when the Rothschilds get brought up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like always about the Federal Reserve or the Rothschilds. Yeah. Uh, That's where it starts. Um, So, okay, look. That's correct. The Rockefellers or the Rothschilds, they weren't on board. But the thing is, yes, there were a lot of wealthy people and famous people on board the Titanic, but this was not the only luxury liner right. that was in existence at the time. Also, the Carnegies and the Gettys and a lot of rich people weren't on board. Right. Uh, and there's got to be an easier way to kill three men <laughs> than doing this, don't you think? If you're as wealthy as J.P. Morgan... I could think of a number of ways you could seriously without killing a thousand plus people. Uh, Come on. It's really stupid. Uh, It says less than a year later, this is still the meme. Now that the wealthy opposition was out of the way, the federal reserve was created and USA was turned into an incorporated business with its own business ID number 28 USC 30215. Which is also, that's also, that's also the, The handles of all of their Twitter users, (laughs) numbers like that. (laughs) Okay. J.P. Morgan did not cancel his trip for nefarious reasons. He actually had business going on in Europe that prevented him from traveling back to the States. He had planned on traveling to New York to ship his art collection from France and England, but a snag at the U.S. Customs Office prevented him from leaving on time. He actually sent a telegram to the White Star Line explaining that he had to cancel his trip. Yeah. The conspiracy theorists posit that Morgan's convoluted plot to sink the Titanic involved tampering with the ship's distress flares as well as electromagnetically sealing the decks of the ship to trap passengers on board. Damn. This goes deep. Um, I mean, here's the thing. He, if he did something like this, it would be impossible for him to do it alone. And it would be very unlikely that someone at this point wouldn't have come out and said, yeah, I'm the one who turned off the electromagnetic <laughs> whatever things, unless they died or whatever. I just feel like someone would come forward with this information. It's just a long history of conspiracy theorists coming up with these ways that, these like very elaborate ways that wealthy people are evil when there's so many ways out in the open that they're evil. Yeah, when I mean, it's like, you don't have to dig deep. You don't have to dig deep or look for all this crazy evidence. You can find sh- And they shit. willingly tell you things, yeah. too. <laughs> like, we see what they do, their policies and the things they finance and, like, whatever. Yeah, it's all out there in the yeah. open. You don't have to dig, like, onto 4chan or whatever. But like you said, this is very Federal Reserve-based theory, yeah. So they're going to love to look for the um, starting point. Right. Uh, but obviously there was a huge investigation into this incident. And if there were any anomalies, they'd be like, well, why did this guy do this? If there was like someone who, you know what I mean? Like this would have been investigated and there'd be unanswered questions. Uh, and I, as far as I can tell, there really aren't unanswered questions no. about what happened here. No, there, so, was, there wasn't any debate with either in either inquiry, the only de- debate was like you know morally, like who's at fault? Like is it the Cali- like the Californian? Right. Like, should we also was the like he he couldn't have stopped them from getting the Californian to come? Like how would he know that they'd ignore the calls? Do you know what I mean? Like there's it, like a lot of 
easy ways to debunk it's this. It's too elaborate of a plot and it's too stupid of a fucking plot. Like it, if these three men were all assassinated within a month, then maybe you could be like, huh, that's weird. Like, yeah, did- I think it's, um, if it wasn't involving QAnon, I would think it was a funny conspiracy theory, but I know they all believe it. <laughs> They're going to do dangerous things because of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just silly. Okay. This is a, a weird one that I'd never heard of before. This conspiracy theory, I read this on Snopes and a few other places. It's a Catholic curse on the ship. Oh, I'm on board. <laughs> okay. So this conspiracy is that a number was supposedly printed on Titanic's hull, and this number was a bad anti-Catholic omen. Now, the number in question was 3909 space 04. And if you turn that number upside down... It it, spells boobs. (laughs) If you turn that number upside down, it kind of looks like it says, no Pope. Really? (laughs) I turned it down and the four is stretching it. I don't think the four doesn't really look like an N. Oh, that four is supposed to be an N? Maybe a lowercase N. Yeah, but still... Okay, so this conspiracy alleges that the shipyard's Catholic workers saw this number on the ship's hole and were like, oh, this is a bad omen. We got to tell someone this ship is doomed. Right. Like, were they all upside down working on the ship? And they, they're like lowering themselves down. Yeah. Cleaning it upside down. <laughs> then they see no this. No Pope? Oh, yeah. That's Also, bad. what does that even mean? <laughs> uh, first of all, this number wasn't even on Titanic's hole. Oh, this number so there, did not so ex- there is that. This number did not exist on the whole. Uh, according to Snopes, quote, the number 390904 was not assigned to the Titanic as a whole number or any other type of number. Her official board of trade designation was 131428. And the yard number assigned to her by Harlan and Wolf was 401. The second element also fails because virtually all of Harlan and Wolf's workforce was Protestant, not Catholic. So, and therefore would not have been spooked to the point of oh, refusing really? to work due to a no pope message. Because there was a scene in the movie where they're like, Irish people built this ship. I mean, they did. I guess there's Protestant Irish people. Yeah. You just think majority of them are Catholic. But yeah, it could be. I mean, regardless, there was no fucking number. Yeah. Yeah. That number didn't exist. That that cancels that theory. Yeah. No that, one, that one falls apart faster than the uh, J.P. Morgan one. Seriously. Uh, the third conspiracy is crazy, and that is that Titanic didn't sink. There's always one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that happened, there's always someone who's like, and it didn't happen. How about that? <laughs> It's like, uh, okay. (laughs) This theory posits that the Titanic didn't sink at all because it wasn't the Titanic that sank. It was the it was the Titanic sister ship, the Olympic. Okay. So there was a ship sinking, but it wasn't the Titanic. And why would this be the case (laughs) that they lied to us? I'm going to tell you. Uh, They these conspiracy theorists claim that the Olympic was switched with the Titanic before its voyage in April of 1912. The alleged reason for the Titanic being switched with the Olympic was to carry out an insurance scam. Oh. The Olympic set sail a full year before Titanic's maiden voyage, and it actually had its own accident in 1911 when it collided with the HMS Hawk. Hmm. So 
The Olympic incurred some damage, but nobody aboard was seriously injured. The White Star Line was unable to collect on the insurance payout on this accident, and the Olympic was found responsible for this collision. The conspiracy is that, or the conspiracy theory is that the White Star Line switched the two ships so that the damaged Olympic would set sail in place of the Titanic on April 10th, 1912, get into a collision on purpose, and then collect on the insurance. Interesting. A guy named Robin Gardiner promoted this theory in his book called Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank. It has a question mark on the end of it. I don't think it needs a question mark. Yeah, because it could just be like the ship that never sang. It's like, whoa, what's this about? But but he's asking the question before we even know that that's a theory. Right, right. Why why not make it more clickable? The ship that never sank, (laughs) period. You make it like emphatic. Mm-hmm. And then people are going to be like, I'm going to read about this because he seems like he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't seem committed, but he believes in this. He said that the White Star Line didn't plan on getting anyone actually killed aboard the staged sinking. That actually happened by accident. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, whoopsie. But that, but that, the <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> Imagine. That's got to feel bad. But that, um, but that the uh, oh sorry, but that the when the steamship ran in like they had a rescue ship waiting nearby because they were going to stage a sinking, but then there happened to be a rescue ship. Like oh, everyone's saved. Yeah, no one's going to die. But they just pull out behind the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was basically that was basically. But what the, they do hide? <laughs> they like high tilted it out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they accidentally ran over the rescue ship. Oh, and shit. And the rescue ship sunk and went down. So we've just never seen it because the Titanic's on top of it. <laughs> yes, that's what, that's what this conspiracy theory posits. Oh, my God. And that, uh, that would be wild. They hit the rescue ship, but that's what the collision was. It wasn't an iceberg collision. Oh. They hit a rescue ship. This is a comedy of errors. This is, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this is almost as slapstick as if the... Um, the Carpathia had hit that iceberg after all. Yes. Remember the Carpathia yeah. almost hit an iceberg? That's right. So They were just all sinking out there. Ugh, that would have been a nightmare. In the California, they're still sleeping. Yeah. Just fucking the, the loser boyfriend <laughs> of the group or something. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this theory falls apart with mountains of available evidence. And there's a lot of it. So... When the Olympic was eventually scrapped for parts many years later, her construction number was 400, and that number was found on one of the pieces when it was scrapped. So they're like, well, this ship that we still have that's not at the bottom of the Atlantic has the original shipyard number or the whatever. The Titanic was 401, this one's 400, so we have the piece here. Um, And though these ships were very similar to each other, they did have many cosmetic differences, such as Titanic's deluxe first-class cabin that they sort of reworked before she set sail. Yeah. Um, we talked about that in part one, how they like, after the, both ships were done being built, they're like, let's enhance uh, Titanic's biggest stateroom to make it even more... Sp- I did think Rose's room was really nice. That's That was, we talked about that room 
on the ship. I think that's where the Countess And they had stayed. like their own huge deck yes. with the wicker furniture. That was real. That 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 room. was nice. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's a hundred thousand dollar room. It was yeah. <laughs> we talked about that in part one. It was uh like three adjoining rooms was, right. was this. But with this class. huge deck. With this like private, private a private promenade deck. Yeah. And then I also loved how she brought paintings with her. Okay. She, she had like three Picassos and a Degas. And she hung them up for a four-day trip. Why did that she do like that? That seems like so much work. And honestly, they didn't really go with the room. The Picassos. Because <laughs> the room is really old-fashioned looking. Yeah, and I all agree. of a sudden, I mean, it was kind of funny. Uh, and I love that they're like, he, like Cal, of course, the villain is like, he's going nowhere quick. That, <laughs> it's like. One of the worst lines. I mean, and there's several worst lines in that movie. But that one in particular I just... It's so like, hacky. Picasso, who have a heard of him? He's going nowhere. Fast. Yeah, it's like, okay, we get it. He's a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> a dumb piece of shit. You get it? He doesn't he, get he it. He just said Picasso's not going to amount I also, to anything. I also love, because she's like an art lover, so when she is dismissive of Jack, and then she's like, oh, these are quite good, though. Like, yeah. when she's looking at his... I was like, really? I mean, they seem fine. They're but fine. Like, <laughs> they're not like something I'd be like, you should be in the museum. And honestly, can we talk about... Look. Jack, whatever, he was a fine drawer, but his art wasn't... I mean, it was like a little derivative. They were just sketches, too. Like, right? Yeah. I was surprised. She's like, damn, you draw... Where do you get all these naked women to draw? I guess he was in Paris because they were like all nudes. And then one was like a kid nursing. I was like, damn. (laughs) Mommy Milky. Or the whole horny old lady that he drew. Yes, she was. Cl- that was like his best drawing. Uh, that was in his my best opinion. work. Was Madame Bijou. Yeah, that's what he called her. First of all, the I mean, the dialogue in that movie is so bad. It's Ugh. really funny. It's remarkable. It's remarkably cliche. It's like a first draft of like a, a first year screenwriting like person. Like it's even before you go to screenwriting yeah, school. It's, it's just like it's like here's a placeholder line. Oh, Picasso, <laughs> and then you just never fix it. He needs to say something douchey here. Like uh, that's always something I hate in period pieces, or like any kind of period piece is when they make a reference to like, oh, get it because that actually, yes. actually didn't happen because we know the future, right? And there, it's like it's always the opposite of what happens. It's just so it's so stupid and hacky. I mean, it would have been like it, it, it could be funny, I guess, like a one in a million chance. But in general, I don't know who those lines are for. It would have been funnier if he had just said, "These paintings look like shit." And then, yeah, <laughs> that's all he had to say. These look like shit. Right. He didn't have to make this prediction that we all know won't come true. Right. Like <laughs> Picasso, we'll never hear his name again. Oh yeah. Well, not only did the Titanic sink. With those valuable Picasso, with those valuable, (laughs) right? And also, why did she have Monet's water lilies? Like that's not. She had famous paintings that we know survived (laughs) that weren't on the Titanic. Yes, no, they were all recognizable, unless it was like, hey, this is his first version of his world famous painting. No, they were all like real paintings that exist. No, it was crazy. But the only one that survived her nude drawing, right? (laughs) That was probably on cheap paper. (laughs) Yeah, it looks clear as day too. It's like all they had to do was put it in some liquid and brush it and it just came back <laughs> to be perfect condition there's no way that survived it was pencil 
It was pencil on cheap paper because Jack could not afford no. high quality artisanal art paper or whatever. In acid a moldy, free. That, in a moldy leather case. Yeah. But he just put stick it in that magic water. Right. Brush it. Brush it off. Perfect. It looked amazing. It looked like it was the day it was drawn. It did. It really did. Okay. So back to the switcheroo with the Olympic and the Titanic. Uh, so they found the number that confirmed that, oh, yes, this is the Olympic yeah. uh, when we scrapped the ship. Uh, in the book On a Sea of Glass... They really go into this theory, debunking this cons- oh. debunking this conspiracy theory. One excerpt about the differences between the two ships says, quote, a great many of the Olympics crew were transferred to the Titanic for that ship's maiden voyage. Some of these individuals reported differences between the two liners' interiors and fittings. The switch would either have had to be so complete that it fooled all of the or or all of them or all of them, or they all subsequently remain silent on the subject. The same level of effective deception or crew complicity would have been required for the second ship's crew as well. So there's like documentation of these crew members who worked both ships who were like, this was what was different about the Titanic, and this is what was different about the Olympic. Right. I mean, they're two huge ships. You can't really hide that. No. Right? I mean... No. Um, And furthermore, the insurance payout would have been less money than the cost of either ship. So it wouldn't have even been worth it right. to do that. Yeah. So that falls apart. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. 
When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. You alerted me to a thread on Twitter about a conspiracy of the movie Titanic. Yes. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and I'm really opening this gearing up for some mind-blowing <laughs> Easter eggy theory. Right. And it's very dumbass. But we're going to read it it's and talk dumbass. about it. To be honest, I didn't even finish reading. I just saw the first one and sent it to you. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, Ari Shulman, he tweeted not long ago on December 10th, he said, Jack and Rose made the Titanic sink a thread. Yeah. Sounds interesting, right? Yeah. Did he do the little spool? Oh, <laughs> you know, he, sometimes he people did do the that. The spool emoji? Yeah. No, he did not include that, but he did include a, a picture. He of included them. lots of pictures in this, which okay. I like. Yeah. Titanic, this is, this is, I'm just reading from his Twitter thread. Okay. Titanic drops a bunch of little hints about this. Both that in terms of story structure, the sinking is the fulfillment of their romance and that they play a casual role in the events leading to the sinking. You may not have noticed these, but your brain did. Ooh. Exhibit A. White star chairman and twirled mustache doofus Bruce Ismay. In his second famous scene, he pushes Captain Smith to reach maximum speed so that they can arrive early to make headlines. Why? The press knows the size of the Titanic. Now I want them to marvel at her speed. What could have made Ismay feel dissatisfied with Titanic size? Well, in, oh. <laughs> in, his, in his previous scene, he boasts about its sheer sta- size and stability and above all strength. He says nothing about its speed. But then Rose mentions Freud and implies that Ismay is preoccupied with size because he's insecure about the size of something else. That was a good little scene. That was a good scene. Poor Ismay is laughed at by his peers, even by Mr. Andrews, who actually designed the ship. Sick burn, Rose. I hope Ismay doesn't rashly turn his obsession toward proving something else about the ship. So he's saying that because Rose dunked on him at tea. Yeah. Implying that he cared about his dick size and he was uh, acting that out, boasting about the Titanic, yeah. whatever. He goes to Captain Smith after this scene and that's why he tells Captain Smith, we have to speed up. Yeah, he's like, I also fuck like a jackrabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit B. On the day of the collision, shortly after being pressured by Ismay, Captain Smith is standing on the bridge during a tour led by Mr. Andrews. 
Smith receives a radio warning of looming ice. He looks up, initially with a stern, perhaps worried expression. But then Smith sees the worried look of Rose and her mother, who are also on the tour. He reassures them, it's perfectly normal, actually we're speeding up. Does he mean it? He's much more confident here than than he just was with Ismay, and that was even before the ice warning. Right after this scene, we see that out of all the leadership, Mr. Andrews is the one who cares mostly about the ship's safety. His face falls as he admits that he designed the ship to be able to carry enough lifeboats for everyone, but White Starline left off many to save deck space. So, if Rose hadn't been there when Smith got the ice warning, Smith wouldn't have needed to hide his worry. And Andrews, the man best attuned to safety, could have recognized the captain's unease and asked him if he was really okay with pushing full speed ahead. So, so far, this is three men who are willing to put 2,000 plus lives (laughs) at risk because they don't want Rose to feel bad. (laughs) I mean, this... This theory is a little sexist (laughs) because it's all Rose's fault because men are pussies to stand up to her. I mean, that's ridiculous. I think she wanted to know. I think it's treating these guys like um, cucks. Yeah. I don't know if they were cucks. No. I, yeah. I I, I really think that these men were capable of making decisions without Rose. And if Rose was upset, they should have been fine with that. Yeah. That's not their problem. (laughs) Exhibit C, obligatory in a Titanic movie. Someone has to be the ignoble, has the ignoble duty of being that guy who boasts that the ship is unsinkable. This rich, witless mook must get his comeuppance in the finale, along with whatever he represents. It's been a while since I was deep into Titanic lore, well before the movie. I was into it first, but I can't believe the it can't sink guy or, but I believe the it can't sink guy usually survives the sinking in order to witness the full horror and live with humiliation for life. So who gets that honor in 1997? Not Ismay, Andrews, or Smith, but delightfully, the cretinous stiff Cal Hockley. Well, Ari, the reason that Ismay, Andrews, and Smith don't get to watch the ship go down is because those three guys actually died on the ship. So... Cal is the one who says it's unsinkable? He says it in the beginning when they're getting out of the car... And arriving to go to the ship. How does Cal die again? He doesn't die. He doesn't die, he right? He doesn't die. Does Lovejoy die? Yeah, he yes. does. He so dies he just, on the ship. Okay. So Cal gets out. Yes. Okay. And then Rose, uh, old Rose, Gloria Stewart, later says like the after the stock mar- market crashed, and he put a pistol in his mouth. Okay. So he ends up so. dying... He does get a death eventually. He does die years later, I guess. Right. I, I didn't finish watching it. Mm, okay. Exhibit... Oh, so this basically his theory is like, in terms of the story, Rose, ha- Rose has to make a fool out of Cal. Yeah. So the ship has to sink just to, just to make Just a, to prove. Just to prove. So she those, can go, see, you arrogant <laughs> asshole. <laughs> all of these people died, but it was worth it. Just so I could see your face. (laughs) Exhibit D. Jack and Rose running through the engine room, distracting the coal shovelers. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That that job did look horrible. Like, I was like, I could never. That's such a hard job. Just to, I was like, do you ever, you have to keep shoveling coal nonstop. (laughs) Like, 
That's like a right. hard fucking job. Is that all they do all day? I guess. I mean, they. I'm sure they get breaks. But it, looked, <laughs> like, it looked geez. hot down there. Seriously, that is grueling work. So this tweet thread continues with the coal shoveling theory. It says the movie doesn't give us any reason to think this materially harms the crew's performance during the collision, but that does happen minutes later and the engine room's efforts are key. To the failed attempts to avoid the iceberg, I won't deduct points here, but it is in a way the movie telegraphs that Jack and Rose are not just spectators, but intimately caught up in the ship's keep with the ship's key players and the events that precipitate the sinking. Exhibit E, the flying on the bow scene. It immediately follows Rose's final rejection of the first-class life. It marks the end of the unresolved romantic tension, the start of their couplehood. When they encounter Cal, she starts to announce she's breaking their engagement. The bow scene marks the transition from the story's second act to third. It's when all the establishing work is done and we're ready for the iceberg to do its business. It's What starts the night of the sinking and the events leading to the collision? So in terms of story structure, Jack and Rose, I'm just skipping over. No. And I feel like all of this, to be honest, was intentional on James Cameron's part. It is all intentional. He was tying the love story to the tragedy to make us care. That's why I was so infuriated by this tweet thread, because these aren't, like I said, this isn't like an Easter egg thing. This is just, yeah, I watched the movie too. It's yeah. That all happened. I mean, it's something you probably don't think about. Right. It's just you're watching the movie and no one's analyzing it to that level. Um basically he says the smoking gun is exhibit F, the collision sequence. It begins with what? The crew and the lookouts are distracted by what? Our star crossed lovers canoodling on deck. So he's saying oh, that that is true. That be- <laughs> See, he should have just this should have been a one tweet thread. And like it should have been, I think Jack and Rose are responsible for the iceberg hitting the Titanic because, because they were making out and the lookouts were watching them make out instead of seeing the iceberg. Totally. That but he would, beefed it up. He, he tried to beef it he up. He beefed it too much. No, I agree. Because I, I think I had seen a bit about that threat. And when I saw that scene like a few days ago, I was like, oh, they were distracting the lookouts. Right. <laughs> like literally... I mean, obviously, it might have still been too late. It was like at that point. Right. Uh, but that would have been a more convincing uh, conspiracy theory for this movie. I mean, the absurd thing of it all is those two people did not exist. Rose so and Jack. It, yeah. So it's like it didn't cause the real Titanic <laughs> no. sinking. It's only for the movie. But the Titanic really did sink without them. That's what somebody yeah. said in the thread. That somebody said, <laughs> well, somebody replied. <laughs> Contrarian take. It was an iceberg. <laughs> somebody said, uh, somebody also said, like, you know, this really happened in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just having fun. I get, no, I get he is yeah, having real but fun. But it is funny. Uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, yeah. Because I, I knew we were doing it. So when I saw it, I was like, that's funny because there isn't any anniversary or anything that's happening this month. Do you know what I mean? So it was funny to see his thread out of nowhere. Totally out of nowhere. So, I mean, look, Ari Shulman, clearly another Titanic stan. So, you know what? You know what? That's fine. If you've seen a movie a hundred times, you start looking for new things, I think. Yeah. You know, you're like, let me pay attention to the background now. Have you ever watched a movie and you're like, I'm going to look at the extras in this scene? Like that kind of stuff. You start doing weird stuff. That's what Uh, I did the whole time I was watching Titanic this hundredth time oh i definitely had a new angle 
on it just from listening to your episodes right. and from doing my own reading. I was like, okay, so this is like, I like it was good to see the mechanics of it come together, right? Both from a filmmaking perspective and from the historical, um, you know, story of what really happened. To see it, it is so well done, and it's like, okay, that makes sense, right? But sometimes it doesn't make sense when you're reading the logistics. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Cause like we've talked before, like I am always confused. Like, well, what's the stern? What's the bow? What's the starboard? What's right. the poop deck? What's the bridge? Like, right. It's like, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, okay. Yeah, I yeah, need yeah. a diagram sometimes. And like, wait, but what is the poop deck? <laughs> like, what is the poop deck? It's like the deck in the rear, like in the back. <laughs> so literally the poop where you poop. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we talked about this because there was a bar called the Poop Deck we or something. We did talk about and it this. Had, did it have wow, poop? That's a deep cut. <laughs> that's a deep cut. I think we talked, we talked about, poop about deck. a bar called the Poop Deck before. I what was that like, from? What episode was that? Because I, fe- I feel like it was like a bar in Florida yes. that had like a. a <laughs> they got in trouble. Su- they got in trouble for like a poop sewage thing? sewage. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like, it was our poop stories episode or I something. I feel like it might not have been. It could have just been a regular Maybe, maybe it was just a funny story. But he had other violations. But it, the name was like something else. It was like something poop deck. Yeah, it was right? like Harry's poop deck or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he had like done his own plumbing. I, I can't remember. But yeah. Uh, also the um, smokestacks or whatever those are called. Oh, yeah. The, what uh, are those called? Steam no funnels funnels Funnels. okay yeah yeah but they're anyway they're smokestacks (sighs) you know science is not my specialty despite my glasses (laughs) (laughs) and our last tidbit from titanic is a story that multiple people wanted me to talk about and that is the head baker aboard the titanic oh charles jogan so titanic's chief (laughs) I don't know why that name is. Because <laughs> I was thinking of Joe Rogan together. <laughs> it's like a portmanteau. It's a portmanteau of Joe and Rogan. <laughs> I'm sorry. My brain Char- is absolutely broken. Charles Jogan. <laughs> I'm going to start calling Joe Rogan Jogan. <laughs> I think it's a cute name for him. Yeah. Charles Jogan. Titanic's chief baker was English-born Charles Jogan. He was in charge of 13 bakers aboard the ship. At 11.40 p.m. on April 14, 1912, Charles was sleeping in his bunk when he felt the collision. According to his testimony at the British Inquiry, quote, I felt the shock and immediately got up. By 12.15 a.m., when the lifeboats were being prepared, Charles had his staff head up to the decks to supply the lifeboats with loaves of bread. Each lifeboat had already been stocked with hard biscuits and water, but Charles tasked his staff with supplying additional food. According to Charles, he had each of his men carry 40 pounds of bread. See, this is the unsung hero. Everyone talks about the band, but this guy's baking breads. Well, he's bringing—he's like seriously, Charles Jogan, unsung hero of the Titanic. Yeah, bringing—he's like, well, we're not going to let all this bread that I baked, yeah, go to waste. Seriously, we're giving this to the survivors. Absolutely, enjoy some bread. You got some baguettes in that lifeboat to survive off. Of. <laughs> Don't let it get wet. It's not no. going to taste Oof. as good. Yuck. Uh, okay. After sending his men up, he went back to his cabin and he had a drink. Nice. 
Charles arrived up on deck at 12.30 a.m., where he then helped women and children into the lifeboats. Charles was among those helping to fill lifeboat number 10, which was on the aft deck of the port side. They were having trouble filling the boat as many of the passengers were still unsure about abandoning the ship to get into this little wooden lifeboat. He said at the inquiry, We got it about half full, and then we had difficulty in finding ladies for it. They They ran away from the boat and said that they were safer where they were. Charles said that him and some other crew members had to forcibly put women and children into the boat. He should have been like, I'll give you bread. (laughs) That would have got me in. Okay. There's there's bread on that boat. There's bread on the boat? Okay. He said, we threw them in. The boat was standing off about a yard and a half from the ship's side on a slight list. We could not put them in. We could either hand them in or just drop them in. So he was literally chucking people, like picking them up and being like, get in the boat. Caveman time. You're going to (laughs) die. After boat 10 was lowered away, Charles returned to his cabin to have another drink. Because he's like, well, all the lifeboats are gone. Yeah. He had assumed all the lifeboats were gone because they were all gone in the area where where he was at. So he goes back. He's like, I'm going to have another drink. After speaking briefly to a doctor that he ran into down below, he then returned up to the boat deck and he noticed all the boats on the aft deck were gone. He assumed the boats on the forward deck must have been gone as well. So he went back down to B deck where he began to throw deck chairs off the side of the ship to act as flotation devices. According to Charles, he threw about 50 deck chairs overboard. Nice. So he's like toasty right now. He's tipsy. He's like, I'm throwing shit. I'm throwing <laughs> shit into the water. Someone, someone's going to need this. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> he's still got his chef's hat on too (laughs) he's a mustache in my fantasy at least he did in the movie he's in the movie oh he is he is in the movie and he's also in a night to remember and in a night to remember they show him drinking in his cabin wow like doing shots i mean i don't blame him and he's wearing a chef's hat the whole time I think he would have taken it off by then. You but you know what? In the movie, we needed to know that's the chef. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy. There's no easier indication that he's the chef there's, than wearing that hat. There's no no one wears that hat Nobody if they're not the chef. <laughs> no one would dare. <laughs> so he... Um, He threw like 50 chairs overboard. After throwing all those chairs overboard, Charles said, I went to the deck pantry and while I was in there, I thought I would take a drink of water. And while I was getting the drink of water, I heard a kind of crash as if something had buckled, as if part of the ship had buckled. And then I heard a rush overhead. The deck pantry was on a deck and the rush that he referred to was a swarm of people running on the boat deck above him. He described the buckling as sounding like, quote, as if the iron was parting. Charles then followed a crowd of running passengers aft. At this time, he saw that his pocket watch read a quarter past 2 a.m. Charles said, I kept out of the crush as much as I possibly could, and I followed down, followed down, getting towards the well of the deck. And as soon as I got down toward the well... She gave a great list over to port and threw everybody into a bunch except for myself. Charles then made it to the rails on the stern of the ship where he clung onto the railing from the outside of the ship. Oh, like they did. Like they did. Yeah. So when I say 
that Charles Jogan is in this in Titanic ninety seven. He's the other guy drinking. Oh, right. He's the guy taking a sip of yeah, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah. some kind of alcohol, clinging to the railings with Jack and Rose. Yes. Uh, so that's where he was clinging for dear life from the that outside. That was so smart to get on that rail. Yeah, Jack is like, we have to stay on the ship as long as possible. Yeah. How did he know that? You know what? He had some little information available. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, um, he basically clung to this railing up until the moment, like the very last moment. He was like the last person on the ship. Right. Because of this. I was like, other than Rose and Jack. <laughs> Yes. It's really hard to separate. I know. Other than Jack. It was well, so- other than Rose and Jack. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he's the only person who thought to do that? I, I mean, that's th- pretty great. I guess. I mean, I'm sure there were other people. For but- a drunkard? <laughs> he's got shit together. He really does. He said he didn't even think his head got wet when he went into the water. Well, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> apparently, according to Charles, he's like, ah, oh, the suction didn't affect me. <laughs> I had my hat on. <laughs> That acted like a flotation. Of it was like a balloon. Head. Yeah, it was a balloon. <laughs> it was like a blow-up toy. It lifted him up. Oh my god! Um, so he said, uh, "Where am I?" Okay, he said he didn't think his head got wet. Uh, the drunken baker then paddled around in the water for a long time with nothing to cling to. He's just dog paddling. I mean, is the drunkenness helping him stay warm? <laughs> you know, you don't feel cold sometimes. We're talk about okay. that. He was wearing his life jacket, though. Okay. Well, that a- helps. According to his testimony, he was submerged, swimming around, just dog paddling around in the water for two hours. Jesus. And now, we talked about in our episode, it was probably episode four, we talked about... How you could die, it would you could die within 15 minutes, yeah, of and being in that cold of water, being submerged in that water that night. People weren't making it la- longer than 45 minutes, yeah. So he said he was swimming around for two hours, uh, and <laughs> he finally got into contact, like he came into contact with collapsible boat B, which was the capsized life, the one boat. that people climbed on top of, yes. So he sees like 20 dudes standing on top of this lifeboat. He swims over. He's like, hey, let me on. Got some hooch. (laughs) And they're like, get the fuck out of here. Really? Yeah. They pushed him off. Because they didn't want to collapse the boat. They didn't. They see this drunk chef. Yeah. Baker coming over. And they're like, get out of here, Charles. Your rolls weren't that good. (laughs) So he swims over to the other side of the boat and he sees one of the cooks, his friend, yeah, Isaac Maynard. And he's like, Isaac. And Isaac's like, Charles? Yeah. So Isaac's like, here, take my hand. So he gives Charles his hand and he hoists him up a little bit and he's sort of leaning on this capsized boat so that most of his, a lot of his body is out of the water. But he's not fully out. He's not fully out. His legs and his feet are still submerged Ugh, in the water. Cold. And it would take another half hour before... One of the other lifeboats came by Collapsible B to rescue those guys and put them into their lifeboat. Right. Uh, and then later the Carpathia arrived. So by the time the Carpathia was loading up survivors, Charles's feet were so fucked up and swollen that he had to climb the ladder to the ship on his knees. Damn. That seems dangerous. And he's doing this all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's fucking shit-faced. Charles Jogan made a full recovery nice. following the disaster. 
He would return to his career as a baker aboard other ships. He even survived another ship crash on Damn. the SS Oregon. He's like, not again. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are the chances of that? That would be so irritating. Ugh, I would be very irritated. He died in 1956 at the age of 78. According to the website historyofyesterday.com, this sort of explains the science behind why he maybe survived. Oh. Uh, I guess. It says Jogan was the last man to leave Titanic. This meant he spent less time in the freezing cold water of the Atlantic. I mean, not that much less time. But, I mean, I don't think he was in the water two hours. I, I, and I think it was enough time to maybe make a difference. Yeah. Right? Right. He wasn't in the water two hours. That's yes, he a, was. How? But the people testified. That he seems testif- impossible. I know. I agree it does. Okay. I'm going to continue. Okay. Uh, water, the water had been 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Alcohol causes vasodilation, the widening of blood vessels. It gives a person a fake sense of warmth, but in reality, it takes warmth away from the body core and speeds up hypothermia. However, at, a low, to, at low to moderate doses of alcohol, cold water of the Atlantic would still tighten Jogan's blood vessels and cancel a validation. I, I copy and pasted this from this website. This is really poorly written. I didn't write this. This okay. is saying it canceled out the effects because he wasn't that drunk. So it, it's only really bad when you're shit-faced. So because yeah. he just had a few shots, yeah, it sort of did counteract something. I guess so. But Jogan would be left with the... He, but because he also was like a little tipsy or a little drunk, he like had liquid courage. Yes. And so he wasn't panicked. So he wasn't like... Oh, so he didn't maybe up his stress levels that could have done more yeah. damage. And like cause him to drown or something. Right. He was just like... Oh, and he it. wasn't fighting it. Yeah. He was kind of just dog paddling. Yeah, he was just chilling. Like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, Whereas other people were probably super panicked. Which right. is actually one of the more dangerous things you can do in a drowning situation. It says Jogan was drunk, thus he was able to remain calm when being thrown into the water. He looked for the best situation in, or the best solution in a hopeless situation. He slowly paddled around just like he would be on vacation, saving energy and warmth. He was also wearing a life belt. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't the only guy that was drunk when that ship went down. I bet you a lot of people were drinking. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really know. I mean, it is. It's definitely a remarkable survival story. Totally. I mean, he might have just been one of those things where it was like, we can't explain this. Yes, definitely. Or the timing is a little off. Enough right. that it makes a difference, right? Right. So maybe it's a combination of those maybe two. Maybe he was only in the water swimming around for an hour. Yeah, still a very long time. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't and know. And when he had his... Like when he got to collapsible boat B, he had enough of his body out of the water. Right, that made a difference. That's yeah. what they should have done. If if he couldn't, if if Jack couldn't fit on the door with Rose, at least he could have gotten like his heart above, you know, like his chest, his torso. Right, and so that his, his complete body wasn't freezing. Yeah, and shutting down. Like he was up to his neck in that water. What was the reason? He just thought it would collapse with both of them? Yeah, it was like they tried once and it go they went, Oh and like it flipped. But why couldn't they find one of those deck chairs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seemed were, like there was a lot of debris. There was a ton of debris. Um and there were people who were dead all around them, like kick them off their debris. I mean, yeah. 
It sounds callous. But in but the moment, in the you mo- got to do what you got to do. I mean, she stole the whistle from that dead guy's mouth. There's a lot of things you do in those moments right. you wouldn't do in normal moments. Right. Um, <laughs> look, there was a lot they could have done to survive, in my opinion. I know that's uh, a very common, popular opinion. People yes. are mad about the door and the, Jack. There was room for him. There, that's like a, it's a meme at this point. Yeah. And obviously, it doesn't matter if there was room for him, technically, if it would sink with both of them on. Uh, right. So, no, I agree. They should have tried a little more. He should have found that collapsible Bo B. Right. Where was that? <laughs> Go on the iceberg. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know. So, it doesn't really matter because he has to die for the story to have some poignancy. I guess so. Otherwise, people would not care. <laughs> they I, don't care about the other thousand. Plus victims. No, they just they needed about, Jack to die. Right. So one of them had to go. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. And it's women and children first. Right. So the guy. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> Sorry, you're Jack. a third class man. I mean, if he had survived, it would have been a little corny. Well, then what do you do then? I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing about if he had survived, their romance, I guarantee you, would not have lasted. Because here, let yeah. me tell you, when you hook up with people in rehab, <laughs> it's only hot when you're still in rehab. And you're not supposed to be doing it and sneaking around. Right. But when you get out of rehab and you find that person and you try and have sex with them later, the sex is not good. Yeah, because you're just fucking in a car, not a car on the tights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're it's fu- like, I don't want to fuck in a car anymore. You're fucking in a car behind an El Pollo Loco. Yeah. It's not as exciting. No, it starts to get unromantic. It's It's only romantic that time. Right. The one time when you do it. When you're sneaking. When you're sneaking around at the rehab. (laughs) Well, thank you for that modern up to (laughs) the modern version. I'm not going to tell you how I know that. Romeo and Juliet at rehab. That's a pitch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's it. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 